morning, good morning everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, a very special edition on this Easter night of the other side of midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where we explore the farthest limits of human imagination, science, and boldly go where a lot of people have at some point in our immense history, our immense hidden history, have gone before. Tonight is going to be a very special program. In addition to it being Easter, the theme of tonight's program with my uh, uh, our friend and colleague, uh, David Sarita, is something which is... It, it, this is not easy for either of us tonight to talk about because he's going to be talking about Crystal, his uh, wife who a year and a half or more ago died, tragically, suddenly. And I'm going to, depending upon the relevance, um, talk a bit about Robin, because separately we have been enjoying, if one can, can use that term, a very curious relationship with someone we care desperately about in another dimension. I'm, 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 I'm kind of picturing that scene in Star Trek where Kirk and Spock are on separate sides of the glass and Spock holds up his hand and Kirk puts his hand over it. They were together but totally separated, could never in that venue come together. That's kind of like the way I, I feel, and of course I believe David kind of feels the same way, but there is something remarkable, consistent, and in the, in the language of science, predictive about the communication going on between me and Robin and David and Crystal. And I have been debating very, very hard, long and hard with myself and with a number of other people that I've talked to about this over, over. It's been four years and a month and a few days since Robin left. And it feels like four days, not four years. Anyway, um, let me start with things that are in the news that are relevant to our uh, conversation for the rest of the morning. Item number one, for those of you, by the way, who are new to the other side of midnight, what you want to do is you want to get on the web. If it's on your phone, you can do two channels. You can listen and you can look through the website I'm going to give you momentarily. And you will find if you click on the other side of midnight.com, that's our URL, the other side of midnight.com. Click on that. That will take you to the show page. And at the top of the show page, there is a banner. Uh, which is actually an illustration from uh, Dante's Paradiso, one of the uh, uh, <clears throat> images representing his first level of heaven, which is the moon. And tonight we're talking about new evidence supporting Dante's visit in Paradiso to what I believe scientifically, and I'm going to try to bring out some data to corroborate this as the evening progresses, that we live in a designer solar system. I mean, that's kind of like what Dante's, you know, meta message was. But what I think we might be able to explore with some 
very interesting positive results tonight is the implication of why we are living in a designer solar system. So click on that banner that will take you to tonight's guest page and under the guest page where it says <clears throat> uh, under the banner on the guest page where it says to listen to the show you'll see fast links to items and fast links to bios click on my items click on my name there that will take you to the section of the guest page where we have our radio with pictures images and links and music and all kinds of things are, are here so click on item number one this is a uh, uh, public broadcasting system story from early in the week. Remember, we talked last night about that was the week that was, how all kinds of amazingly revolutionary and catalytic things happened in the legal political realm in just this past week. Well, something that kind of passed by the radar, because it really is not political, was that on Monday, NASA officially named the four astronauts who will fly around the moon during the upcoming Artemis II lunar mission, which will not be leaving and has nothing to do with technology or expertise or knowledge or whatever. It's simply money. NASA does not have enough money to launch Artemis II within like a month or two of Artemis I. So it will be delayed until around late 2024. So at the same time that the American electorate is wrestling between two choices, whoever the Republican candidate that they nominate will be, and whoever the Democratic candidate that they will nominate will be, and I think our consensus from last night is there is a serious probability that those names will not be <clears throat> Uh, Trump and Biden. They may be someone or someones else. Anyway, during the height of the election campaign for the incredibly important, pivotal presidential U.S. election of 2024, this Artemis II mission is going to be dropped into the mix. And those four astronauts boldly going where someone in Apollo had gone before, are going to encounter the most staggering, the most astonishing, the most catalytic change-making discovery probably in the history of science, if not of humankind. This is like a year and a half away, boys and girls. This is coming at us like, in the old-fashioned metaphor, a runaway freight train or in the new one at Warp 9. Because what they are going to encounter from a close lunar orbit is the stunning architectural dimensions and scientific and technological reality of the ancient, incredibly eroded remains of a lunar-wide ancient glass dome completely covering to a height of tens of miles, the moon. And that is an inevitable confrontation which can only be kind of messed with around the edges. Because in the same time frame, there will be eight, 
I'm sorry, nine civilian astronauts leaving on Elon Musk's starship who will be part of a Japanese billionaire's treat of fellow artists and um, creatives to a free trip to the moon, around the moon for three days and then home, where the civilian, private, non-NASA, non-military, non-deep state, non-censored, non-abridged human beings under Elon Musk's stewardship will be able to look at the same stunning architecture all over the moon and report back live via Twitter what they're seeing. Which, of course, in our model, is the harbinger of the designer solar system that I've been talking about now for some time, of which we are a part, of which the moon, the planets, the sun, the design, the geometry, the orbits, the spacing, the rotation periods, all of which was designed for an outcome, for a purpose. And tonight is kind of like the opening chapter, courtesy of Crystal Sarita, of what that purpose might, in fact, become. So, without further ado, check out item number one. Item number two, speaking of Elon Musk, uh, last night during our very lively and thankfully very civil conversation, I, I, I want to tip my hat to Robert Morningstar, who was an avid, 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 avid Trump devotee. I think it goes far beyond political support, but that's that's just me. Your mileage may vary. Uh, Robert was very forthright in his uh, uh, you know assessments of where we are and. Intriguingly, he and I agree on one fundamental thing. This indictment of Trump, of the 45th president, was long overdue in terms of bringing the presidency of the United States within the purview of the U.S. Constitution. That having been said, we both agree this will be a tour de force that an awful lot of people who should be but have not been paying attention Uh, will pay attention to. So we will get a crash course in constitutional law, in criminal law, in the rights of defendants, the rights of the states, opposing camps of attorneys and representation, and a remarkable tour de force of what it is to really be an American, which is what separates us from all other nations on this planet this experiment going forward. All right, um, Elon Musk in the last few days, in kind of like, um, uh, you know, a hyperdimensional answer to uh, uh, Morningstar's query last night, because during our conversation, uh, Robert interjected into the discussion the idea that among the other noteworthy things that had happened this week, there had been a major call by a number of researchers and uh, politically connected individuals uh, on the on the on the uh, dangers potential dangers of AI and lo and behold when I checked my news feeds this morning in preparation for tonight's show 
there in several outlets. I picked the one from Reuters, which is uh, pretty balanced. Reuters is a very good source of mainstream news. Uh, there is a very extensive article about Musk and others urging the AI community to pause in their extraordinary Warp 9 rate research into artificial intelligence. What we currently have, which is being passed off as AI, it isn't really. It's just very, very, very fast number crunching. True AI, as Stan Tennant and I, and uh, even Marvin Minsky and I many, many years ago discussed on one of my ocean cruises that Marvin happened to be uh, a member of. For those of you who don't you know, know, Marvin Minsky was the basic modern founder of the concept of artificial intelligence, a la the AI lab uh, there at MIT, which he headed for many, many years. And uh, he felt that the, that the approach, the basically number crunching approach uh, to AI at that time was not correct. And uh, he is correct, it is not. However, if the searchers for real artificial intelligence, which of course raises some semantic issues, can artificial intelligence really be artificial if it's intelligent? Anyway, um, that whole conversation is moving at a very fast rate in a very um, uh, results-oriented direction. And so it's remarkable that just uh, within hours of uh, Robert raising the issue here on the other side of midnight last night, there is a mainstream news article citing Musk and others who are calling for a serious pause in AI research, citing risks to society. Uh, before we move on, one thing you might all want to do is to kind of chase down uh, so some of those movies we talked about last night. Like, if you really think that AI in a supercomputer is going to be beneficial for the future of humankind, you need to see a movie called Colossus the Forbin Project. I strongly urge you, go find it on YouTube, go find it on some obscure other website, go find it, you know, on satellite television or cable or whatever. Find it and watch it. It is a very well done, very well produced, very thoughtfully created cautionary tale to which reality has now caught up. And that is represented by the story in item number two. Uh, item number three, click on that. Okay, that will make it full screen. Actually, there should be a way for me to size these so they just fit on the screen. Uh, note to self, ask Keith how to do this in the future because you have to kind of scroll a little bit back and forth to see these. This is a web image, a new web image, which I put together as a composite <clears throat> of both the uh, unabridged or rather un-annotated um, frame and the annotated frame done by NASA showing certain features. The one thing that they miss in the image on the right, which is the annotated version, they've got clouds, they've got the polar cap, which uh, you'll see a bit better in the next image, and then they've got the uh, 
one of the rings, the so-called Zeta ring, which is, uh, they're like five rings, very thin, dusty rings around the planet Uranus, which is one of the gas giants in the outer solar system, takes something like 84 years to go around the sun once, has about 30 times the mass of the Earth, uh, maybe a huge ball of water and ice and hydrocarbons and rock and whatever with an ocean somewhere deep beneath those clouds. But it's the clouds I want you to pay attention to because look at the bright ring around the planet, which is the inner circle, the inner disk. That's the planet Uranus and the elliptical rings around it are not elliptical. They're elliptical because <clears throat> the image was shot at an angle to the ring. So, of course, they appear as ellipses as opposed to face-on as perfect circles, which they actually are. All round the limb of Uranus, notice that bright glowing ring, which is denoted in the image on the right where it says clouds. Um, one brilliant set of clouds which is very bright, kicking back specular reflection into the web camera, located several billion miles away from Uranus in the inner solar system, in a distant million-mile orbit of the Earth. That's where Webb is tonight. This is called a near-cam image. Near-cam means near-infrared, which stretches from like 0.6 microns to 5 microns. So it's not thermal. You're not looking at heat energy. You're looking at basically long, long, long wave red light beyond the red end of the visible spectrum. And what the NASA people have done is, of course, take three images and three separate filters in this infrared wave band, which are equivalent to colors, and then they assign the shortest wave band to blue, the middle range to green, and the long wave end of that uh, three uh, filter composite to red, and bingo, you get a synthetic color image, which is kind of like an echo of a visible light Hubble image. What's really interesting, again, is that brilliant ring around the horizon, around the limb of Uranus itself. It's blindingly bright. Why? Because that is the thick Uranian atmosphere backscattering sunlight which has traveled all the way from the sun, billions of miles out to Uranus, and then back to Earth, Earth orbit, and Webb to be recorded by the near-cam cameras. The reason this is interesting, is stunning, can be seen in image number four, which is right under image number three. So back out of three, go into four, click on it. The image on the left is a Denuri, uh, South Korean unmanned spacecraft image of our own moon, Luna, taken a few days after launch uh, in August of uh, 2022. The image on the right is a somewhat enhanced version, uh, contrast, uh, enhanced, etc., etc., of the images in number three. Here you can clearly see the atmospheric backscatter ring which is the longest tangential path length tangent to the planet, encountering the most atmosphere, obviously, and therefore the atmosphere of Uranus in this wave band appears to be a brilliant glowing ring grading toward the inner part of the planet 
as the atmosphere path length gets uh, shorter as you move from the edge of the disk toward the center of the disk. So far, so good. Now, why am I comparing these two? Because the image on the left, minus the rings orbiting, you know, the planet, looks a lot like the image on the right, except, of course, it's not in color. Why is that? Because there's something above the moon, tangentially cross-referenced uh, and backscattering sunlight back to the camera, just like at Uranus, except we know from flotillas of unmanned spacecraft and the Apollo program and the instruments and all the research which has been done by astronomy up until the era of the space age, we know that the moon does not have an atmosphere. So how can there be an identical backscattered ring at the farthest distance around the planet, the edges, just like Uranus, of two disparately, incredibly different objects, source objects, mass, rotation, composition, and yet they appear to superficially have the same kind of optical phenomenon going on just above their surfaces. The answer? The object on the right, Uranus, the backscatter is caused by the atmosphere. Because we know the moon has no atmosphere, including from ALSEP instruments left on the surface, the density is like one ten or one hundred trillionth of the Earth's atmosphere. That brilliant ring cannot be caused by an atmosphere. So what's left? Obviously, even though for most people, they now at this point in the conversation, they freak out. Obviously, it's got to be something other than a natural atmosphere, i.e. an artificially mega superstructure created above the moon, all over the moon, far side, near side, the edges of the limbs, by some super intelligent, super advanced, ultimately extraordinarily technologically advanced race of intelligent beings who were the guys in my model who redesigned the solar system, all of it in which we currently live for some reason. Which brings us to David Sarita. If you go to the other side of midnight, the, click on the bio links under the uh, uh, under David's name there on the on the guest page. Uh, you'll see a very long uh, biogra biography of David. David is a polymath. He is a generalist. He tinkers with basic science. He's extremely experienced with Pythagorean numbers, uh, Hebrew, and other gematria. He has co-produced and edited scores of documentaries. He has produced books. He's scored music. He has worked with technology, including uh, crystals, which resonate to very intriguing hyperdimensional frequencies. Anyway, long story short, David is my guest tonight because he somehow has opened up communication, or maybe is the recipient of communication from his dear departed wife, Crystal, and this may offer us tonight a window on why we now 
demonstrably live in a designer solar system, which has been written about historically in poetry and art and prose, the most interesting of which was the Paradiso and other writings of a 14th century writer named Dante. David, welcome to the other side. Richard, you know, it, I was just thinking this as you're introducing the moon in Dante. I read Dante's entire Divine Comedy, which includes the new life, La Vita Nueva, which is the love story of his beloved Beatrice. Dante sees this woman, Beatrice. She's very young. She's a teenager. She's actually only 13. Well, they seem to have married young. younger in those days. <laughs> well, he didn't marry her. This is what's really ironic. So he sees Beatrice across the room and he faints. He figures this is going to be my wife. And Jesus picks him up in this vision when he's passed out and said, she's your beloved. Don't worry. She's going to be your beloved. Well, Dante never marries her and because she doesn't notice him, but she dies of the flu as as a teenager and he's mad at Jesus you know you said he's my beloved he marries this other woman has kids later in Dante's life he has these mystical experiences through fasting and noting the positions and the timing of the planets and the solstices of the equinoxes and he goes through the nine levels of per, of inferno which is held by the his guide his infallible guide is the poet virgil who wrote the aeneid and then virgil then takes him through the nine levels of purgatory and without going into hell and purgatory and purgatory is purging cleansing when he finally comes to his vision of the first heaven which is which is he's leaving the earth and going to the moon he sees Beatrice shining with light with Jesus Christ, and she is his beloved. She's going to be his life after death contact. Ah. And what's amazing for both you and I, Richard, is that we've talked about this off the air, the experiences you're having with Robin. And when my wife died August 9th, which is the anniversary of Nagasaki, um, a very tragic death after being forced against her will to take medication postpartum um, um, illness. She ended her life tragically on that day. And without going into detail about that, I didn't – in the middle of the night when she died, she was distant from me because she took a cab and did this. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard her voice and it sounded like a staticky AM radio uh, station. David, really frantic. And I wake up and I track my wife's phone and it's on the side of the mountain and it's it's the middle of the early, early morning. And I'm like, oh, my God, something must have happened. You know, she didn't come home. So that marked well you're home with the two girls right i'm home with my kids yeah and we're, we're passed out we went to bed early sometimes she would come home late um so anyway without going into that it marked the beginning of of my contact and what's interesting about dante dante doesn't poetically channel or intuit this stuff he actually experiences it through fasting and prayer and meditation and he ends up. So these were not dreams on Dante's part. These were 
conscious visions brought on by monastic practices of the period. Right, exactly. And so Beatrice is his true beloved in that he didn't really love his wife. I mean, he married, but he was he, he she becomes his guide through the nine levels of heaven. And in Dante's model, when he goes into into the heaven state after coming out of purgatory, he's temporarily blinded. There's so much love coming from Christ and Beatrice that he's overwhelmed by it and it takes him a while to regain his faculties and his observances and then he's so detailed the way he describes what it feels like I'll to tell be you what we're at the bottom of the hour so yeah. let's hold it there my guest this morning for the first hour or so is David Sarita Georgia Lambert is going to be joining us our resident metaphysician who's got some really amazing backstory research this so worked so well last night that I kind of uh, they were talking about and among a lot of other things, the age of Aquarius, as Rick Levine showed us last night. If you think this is amazing, wait till you see what's going to happen next. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard G. Hoagland. We shall return. Mystic Crystal Revelation. Sunday night, this Easter Sunday night, we have a really different and interesting take, I must say, on the whole concept of reincarnation, let alone resurrection. 
So stick with us. Okay, David, I had to interrupt you there in the middle of something really extraordinary. Please continue. Okay, so what happens, Richard? I mean, first of all, I've been meditating my entire life every single day doing breathing, meditation, and frequency practices. So the ability to hear my wife's voice, I want you to understand, is audible. It's not like you're getting a thought pattern remembrance of their voice in your head. The experiences I'm going to describe are so profound that the the experience of her voice is acoustic. Like it jolted me out of my sleep when, when these things happened, including the night she died. I was literally like a lightning bolt pulled out of bed hearing this. So I also use very powerful frequency tools in the room where I sleep, and I have a staff that's tuned to a very specific frequency. And so the... The, oh, the, I, I, I wondered what that was in your essay because every time I hit that word, I thought staff. Staff. What the heck is a staff? Is it a typo? Is it a mis? What is it? It's a well, phys- see, It's a physical tune antenna staff. Right. You see, Jesus in Mark six one through eight tells the apostles they have to have their staff when he disperses them, like Moses and the twelve leaders of the twelve tribes had their staff, and the staff is an antenna because. God tells Moses to put a copper coil, which is a serpent in the symbolic language, around a pole, and that's how Tesla invented radio. In fact, Tesla was very biblical in a lot of his discoveries. He put wait, 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 copper... wait, 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 really? This is really? This, this was what Tesla glommed onto to lead him to electromagnetics. Right. His first radio demonstrated at the Chicago World's Fair in 1893 was just a copper coil. Remember, when I was a kid in Berkeley, my dad was getting a PhD in psychology. He was assistant professor at Berkeley. And there I am, you know, at the University Village in Albany, and I'm making my first radio in the front yard. You get a toilet paper roll and you wrap the copper wire around it and you solder it to a a diode. um, And then you got your earbud headphones and you got this little copper rod and you slide it up and down the- Wait, wait, don't you need a Galena crystal or something? Yeah, there's a little crystal diode, and so there's just very few parts. So that's a two. It's really radio. a solid state radio before transistors. Right. Yeah, but when Tesla first demonstrated radio, he didn't invent the tuning device. That was um, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled June 21, 1943, the Tesla Lodge and Stone. Lodge and Stone did the tuning circuit, right? Tesla just did exactly what God told Moses to do. He put a copper coil, which is in the link. He didn't put a serpent on a pole. It's not like Moses was walking around with a fiery brass (laughs) snake. He would have bit him, right? I mean, it's the language of symbols. Yeah. So that's what Tesla did. So I have... Okay, I, I I, 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 I can't not ask you this. Have you, in terms of biblical... Uh, records measured or duplicated the staffs described in the Old Testament. Oh yeah, and oh, do they perfect. can do they can, uh, you know subscribe to certain frequencies? Absolutely, we've talked about on, ah okay, okay. So here's see the height of a monopole antenna is one quarter of the wavelength it will transmit right. and receive at. So we know in the book of of Hebrews in the Bible that the staff of Aaron lay in the ark, which is two and a half cubits. So he's telling you right there how high it is, 
right? But you got to have the right qubit, and that took me years to get the <laughs> perfect qubit. So I measure. I mean, my company sells these at, at DavidSarita.co. People get staffs all the time, so they're beautiful. But they have this incredible coil, and you plug it into a frequency generator, and you transmit frequencies through it. Actually, believe it or not, and I've done a lot of math, the staff of two and a half qubits transmits a wavelength of 10 qubits and the and the original holy of holies as a tabernacle of Moses was 10 qubits and the queen's chamber is 10 qubits mm. by 10 qubits. So my staff is so perfectly tuned and it's interesting because when I hear the voice of my wife and even my mother appeared Right next to my staff, within five feet of it, um, after uh, some time after she died, I saw her with my own eyes. I would always hear a static, like AM kind of zapping sound, like you know when you're tuning your old radio in the car, it's doing that. I would hear that before the voice. And when I first heard my wife when she died, she called my name out, and it sounded like you were tuning your AM dial, and you're getting some static, but you're hearing it. That's what it sounded like, and it was coming from my staff. Mm. So remember, if you look in all the Egyptian iconography, all the gods, Osiris, Isis, Hathor, they all had their staffs. And then Jesus, if you read Mark 6, 1 through 8, he's urging the apostles. You, ha you could No money in your purse, no bread, nothing but your staff when he disperses the the apostles. So there's a reason for it, obviously. He, he's the master. He's telling them what they need to stay in contact. So I think that's an important part of this, why this is happening to me. But what happens next is if you click on my item one, there, there's, a, there's a very detailed article that – my wife will call my voice, and you'll see this, at a precise interval of days between the time she died, August the 9th, 2021, and the given date where she calls my voice, and the number of days is code. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. This is the part when I was writing the promo, I, I was a little confused because I think we need to do a little more editing on this essay, but the night she died, her voice in a staticky form coming from this tuned staff you had created from ancient Hebraic measurements in the Old Testament. Her voice statically seemed to come out from that staff and woke you out of a sound sleep, and that's how you began to put together the fact that she was in trouble. When was the next time that you heard Well, the her next time... Voice? And this is in the essay. She seemed to call call out my name exactly on the ninth of every month thereof for the first. So wait year. a minute. She died on August ninth of twenty twenty one. Do you mean on September ninth of twenty twenty one? You heard her. Yeah, I heard her, and my kids were having experiences as well. It's like an anniversary thing, Richard. Where this was. It was perfectly timed. And what ends up happening is, and this is in the article, is on the, um, I think it's the eighth month, she would, would be 243 days after she died. 
and she calls out my name. Actually, she calls out my name. This is interesting because you know about 432, of course. And where, when she was cremated using Jimmy Blanchett's antenna in northern Arizona, we sent out recordings of Crystal's songs and, and the children's voices at 100 and over 175,000 watts. We sent her to the sun, to Mercury, to Venus, to Mars, to Jupiter, and Saturn. We, we sent you know, this, this was out. the same antenna that we used with your cooperation right. and Jimmy's to send the so-called Muamua messages. Right. So what's interesting is when when she she called out my voice at the 243 days after she died, that's the exact number of days it takes Venus to counter rotate once. So one yes. Good grief, David. One, one Venus day is 243 Earth uh, 243 Earth days. 243 days uh, of Earth time, Venus will it, it counter rotate. So all the other planets are going clockwise, and Venus is counter rotational. It's the only planet in the solar system. Well, wait, 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 wait. August to September is one month. That's thirty days. Where's the two forty three come in? Oh no, that that's we're we're at eight months now. I think we're where do I have it on uh, on April the ninth or April the ninth, twenty twenty two is two hundred and forty three days. So which is exactly to- one right. Earth three sixty five and a quarter days after no no we're not there yet no no that's another thing that that's the next experience so this no no I'm, ex- well, tonight is april 9th so a year ago tonight oh my, wait a second oh my god i can't even believe this Richard. a year ago tonight is when you got your first 243 transition oh my god and we're doing and he had not noticed cow. and what will she do what? tonight Oh and, my God, Richard! This is mind blowing. And will she do it on the other side of midnight? This Crystal, the, come in, please. And, and, and you know what's funny? Last April 9th, twenty twenty-two, at two hundred forty days, it wasn't Easter, but this no. year it is. Yep. Oh my God! I'm glad you noticed that. So, what shocked me about the two hundred forty-three days is, of course, that's one Venus day. It's yeah. It, and so. I look at Dante's model and I go, is Crystal on Venus, which is his third level of heaven? Is that what she's telling me, right? And notice she called up my name on 234 days and they're all components of the number 432. And Jimmy's antenna sent her recordings out at 432 megahertz. So 234, 432, and 243 all have the same numbers, right? Yep. And so, so then... After that experience, and I was flabbergasted, I was like, okay, this this isn't mythic in the sense that it isn't true, and it's just storytelling. Remember, you know the scene in Carl Sagan's book and movie, Contact, where where um, Jodie Foster's character's dad says, you know, it seems like an awfully waste of space that there's nobody else out there but us, yep, right? Yep, So Pythagoras taught that... Not only did the the planets in our solar system comprise of a hidden music scale, and in Jamie James' book, which is just called Music of the Spheres, which Crystal Which is I another thought, way of saying frequency. Right. So 
in in his book, Music of the Spheres, there's this scene of this goddess Harmony, who is the daughter of Venus, the goddess Venus, or a daughter of Venus. She comes into this wedding feast, and she's playing an instrument that reminds me of Ezekiel's wheels, because it has wheels within wheels, and it's on her chest, and it's playing the most beautiful music. It had outdone the Pythagorean music scale. It had outdone probably the Orphic music scale. Nobody had ever heard music like this. And after the wedding, she's approached by a Pythagorean philosophers saying, how did you create music with wheels instead of, a, instead of stringed instruments? And she's saying the music that's coming out of my instrument comes from the proportions of the planets. Mm. That's incredible. So when you see what Crystal's doing here, we're now going to jump in in the article to understanding that Don, what Dante's saying and what the Pythagoreans are saying, and Dante's Catholic, by the way, everybody, and also, you know, there's that scene in the Bible, and, and it's in 2 Corinthians 12, 21, that says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I, I do not know, God knows, right? So the third heaven being Venus. We should also note that in the book of Revelation, Jesus declares himself the bright morning star, that he, which is Venus, Right. And yep. therefore, in the book of um, I think it's in Isaiah, Satan or Lucifer is cast out of the bright and morning star down to the earth with all his fallen angels. So that would establish that Venus is a platform being right next to Earth as Mars is. It being close to earth that the, the, the supreme being God is not going to allow evil to exist there but would throw it down to the earth which could, of course could explain you know a lot of the craziness down oh, here so that, look around yeah. yeah so that's very interesting to me so crystal is telling me in, in perfect numerical value that she's on Venus this most important bright and morning star oh hang on, hang on hang on hang on Let's not look at this literally. Let's look at this from a hyperdimensional perspective. Because when you sent me that first draft of the essay, the thing that really kind of clicked that, uh, you know, it's kind of like I grokked, it's an old Heinlein term, was that the planets, the moon, etc., these objects, these celestial objects in Dante are referenced in terms of frequency. So is it possible, I ask myself, that it's not that Crystal is on Venus, but that Venus is a portal, a doorway, a tuned frequency entry point to allow you to exit this system in three dimensions to get to higher dimensions or conversely, come back through and communicate to you because of her matching frequencies i i think you're, you're okay we're getting really close to that understanding now because what just happened is during spring break i took my kids astaria and aware to banff alberta canada and it's interesting banff the town of banff was built by masonic masters sits at 51 degrees in one minute which is exactly <laughs> their stone hinges 51 stone degrees. Hinge, yes wow yeah so we're in the hotel and it's March 23rd, 
2023 and I, I'm going to sleep. And actually, um, I have my, my daughter wears with her friend in another room. This is just hotel. a few weeks ago now. This is only a few weeks ago. And, and my littlest one sleeping next to me and we got this like sleepy time music going on in this Bose stereo system. So even with that noise, I'm falling asleep and boom, Crystal's voice rang out louder than the music. That's how clear it was. Oh. It was so crystal clear. And I'm at the same And it's North not Park. on the ninth of the month. No, it's March twenty third. Now now so I get up and I do the same thing. How many days has it been since she died? And the number I'm about to give you is so astounding because it's the master code that connects the all the planets and the number of Earth days in their orbits to the golden ratio. She gives me it's five hundred and ninety one days after she died. Now I wake up, okay, get out your calculator, people. You gotta do this because <laughs> this is gonna tell you where you go when we die. That the the solar system is Well, it tells some people because remember, Robin left and I think is doing what she's doing through the moon. That's why right. I chose the moon from Dante's Purgur. Uh, but that's the first heaven. Yeah. That's, and it's blindingly bright there. It's it's not, you're not going to see what we see when we look at the moon because you're in a hyperdimensional body that now sees Don't paradise. think of these as physical places. These are dimensional right. spaces. So right. as I said to Rick last night, our resident astrologer, hyperdimensional astrologer, the doorways, the gates, the portals between 3D and higher D is based on frequency and mass and angular momentum. And when right. you do the math, the moon, because it's paired with the Earth-Moon system, is a different resonant frequency than Venus, Mercury, the Sun, Jupiter, etc., etc., etc. So what I find remarkable, here we have two women who died long before they should have, one goes through the Venus doorway, that's crystal. The other goes through the lunar doorway, and that's Robin. Well, watch, because I, I think it gets it's going to get more advanced than that. So I wake up in the middle of the I night, hope. 500, <laughs> 591 days, and I, I take the square root, the cube root, and I'm like divided by pi, 3.14, nothing. And I go, you know what? Why has she be broken the pattern of 999? Right. Got to so be I, something I, significant. So I take five and one divided by the golden ratio one point six one eight zero three three nine eight eight seven. So that's to perfection, and I divide it and I go. It's three hundred sixty five point two five. Holy criminy! Holy crap! <laughs> that is the accuracy to the exact sidereal year on Earth. Three hundred sixty five. 0.25 and the decimals keep going is exactly how many days there are on an earth year. So watch Richard. Then I go again. I divided it by the golden ratio again. I'm at 225. The number of days Venus orbits to have the one year. sun, the Venus year, the Venus year. And then I do it again and I get 139.5 and I don't know what that means. And I divide it again and I get Mercury's year. I accurate to now, you have to understand, when I say accurate to 97%, 98%, the golden ratio is a progressive ratio that starts with a ratio of 1 to 2, 1 to 1. 
1 to 1.5, 1 to 1.6, 1 to 1.6666, and eventually 1 to 1.618. Oh, uh, four and then oh three and did it, it just goes forever like pi right so if i'm accurate with three planets in the golden ratio going into mercury because mercury is 88 days and the number i get is 86.22 so my accuracy on mercury is 97.9 percent that's incredible. okay let me let me stop you there yeah. There will be people in the audience saying, oh, you guys are, I, I want whatever you're smoking. Please send me some of your stuff. The fact that these numbers are not exact is perfectly understandable in a 3D realm of entropy, where there are frictional losses. In other words, when the designers redesigned the solar system, and remember, I said last night that out of you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 planetary systems now that, that NASA's found and other agencies, other, other astronomers have found uh, the, over this part of the galaxy. Our solar system is the only one that looks like ours, that is scale like ours. Big planets outside, little guys, rocky guys inside, et cetera, et cetera, with these incredible mathematical ratios in terms of their orbits and spins and all that. When this system was designed, or I should say maybe redesigned, you start the clock, okay? You begin the countdown. However many years or millions of years elapsed between the redesign of the solar system and now, I think is reflected in the fact that your numbers are really, really, really close but not exactly right on. They're accurate to 97, 98, 99, but not 100 because of entropy. Right, and, and entropy explains it. And also, when you read Zechariah... Which, for those folks that are not physicists, means friction, frictional losses, heat transfer, energy, yeah. you know, energy losses. No system in 3D is ever perfect except for superconductivity, which, of course, is a projection of a higher dimensional reality. Right, and, and, and also the golden ratio is, is just like pi is ever-expanding. There is no finite pi nope, or nope. phi. So with the, with the tolerance of the... Do you the remember where, where at the end of Contact what Sagan wrote in, in the novel and then uh, what's well, his name put in the movie about, about pi? Exactly. So what's amazing about the book, which is way better than the movie, is there. there's more. It's not just one woman who goes, they stop in, in Vega and then they go to the center of the Milky Way galaxy, right? They go to the, the vortex, to the black hole, and they go to the center where they're in paradise and they're all nude. And it's and the, what, the, what the God or the creator is telling them is the whole secret to the universe is pi, right? Mm -hmm. That's in the book. I mean, I, the book is so much better than the movie. It's this really is, this is Sagan's novel on which yeah, the movie Sagan's came. novel compared to the movie with Jodie Foster. So when you understand that pi and phi, actually pi and phi correspond to pyramid, great pyramid angle as well. But that's a that's an abstraction. So what what I do next is I take crystals. Now you have to understand this, people. Five ninety one. 
divided by the perfect golden ratio give us, gives us the perfect number of Venusian days, accurate to 99.99%. <laughs> Not 100, but what's amazing about it is if, if you were going to discover the, the ratio of the goddess harmonies instrument described in Jamie James' book, Music of the Spheres, at creating a type of music that is that outdid all of the Pythagorean um, music scale, which led to the modern music scale today. And she's saying it, it's based on the proportion or ratio of the planets. Venus to Earth is is it, the 591 divided by the golden ratio is Venus. And if I take the 591 divided by the perfect Sidero year, which is my item eight, if you go to my item eight on Richard's site, we're going to jump all the way to eight for a minute. You'll see what it looks like. You take 591 divided by exact Sidero year of 365.25636304 equals the golden ratio accurate to 99.999%, which is a fine golden wow. ratio, right? They, that That's the number my wife gave me. What, what could... <laughs> Okay, let me because there's people out there saying, okay, all right, guys. Um, big question: okay, Did big the question. girls hear the same thing on the night of the twenty third? Oh no, 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 no. My, my, I can tell you that my little Astaria, who was almost six when Crystal died, Astaria's birthday is September 11, 9-11. She's a nine eleven baby, oh, so she, she bolted out of bed one night. Um, sometime after her mom died, I, I she sleeps right next to me in a giant king size bed, and I I'm looking at her. She's looking at her mom. I can't see Crystal. Wait a minute. She's she what? She's what? She's looking at her mom in a vision. Her How eyes do you know? Open. How do you know? Because she told. She oh. told me. And her mom has a halo, beautiful white dress, shining with light, and the halo goes all the way to the feet to the head, right? Whereas which is called the um, areola, which is a which is a greater expanded halo. Yeah, the there are, there are Renaissance up. painters that have painted this phenomenon around uh, Mary. Right. So all the way to the feet, which is which is a sign of a very advanced enlightened master, actually. So that's what my little six year old or a high frequency field or a high frequency <laughs> field around her. So. So, again, this is exciting to me because one of the questions well, I've it's extraordinary, always... David, it's I... more than exciting. So have you have, have you had kind of long discussions with the girls about where mom is and what she's doing and how they can talk about it every day, Richard, like um, my daughters have so much spiritual awareness and they both, my oldest now, Alira is 12, will be 13 this year. Astaria will be eight in September. I'll be 62 in August. So they talk up, they both had incredible experiences after the we're at the bottom of the hour. Up the air. Yep. Thank you. Up the air. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hey, you know, David can get too fascinating and I can get lost in very interesting stuff. So let's take a pause here. We are at the edge of uh, wherever. <laughs> You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return.
Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.